We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. Wait, he throws back shoulder. Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump picks. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. The Rams' sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing our Derek C. Apollo with little Stevie, Steve Ribeiro. We have a great guest tonight for part two of our playoff preview for the Los Angeles Rams home divisional playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys. We'd like to welcome our guest tonight. Um, geez, Bobby, you're, you're a man of many, many... <laughs> Cloaks here. You got a lot of things going on. NFL Network field producer, Cowboys getting report for SB Nation, uh, Cowboys cast. Welcome, Bobby Belt. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Uh, well, not too bad, Bobby. I'm glad to have you on, man. And we're, uh, I think, me and Derek are both cautiously optimistic about Saturday. <laughs> That's good wording. It's funny. Cowboys fans are kind of cautiously optimistic. I don't think there's confidence, but I think they feel at least that. I think they think that they can hang with the Rams a little bit uh, this Saturday. 
Well, we don't know what team we're going to get. And I guess we're going to have to get into that as well. You know, what ramp team will we get? Will we get the one that was you know, eight and one, nine and one, ten and one, or we're going to get the one that was kind of iffy at the end of the year when they played the Bears and, and the Eagles? But we'll find out. I guess we'll find out real quick. Um, before we do move on and, and talk with Bobby more about you know the, what's going on with this Cowboys game, we want to go ahead and knock a couple of things out first, just so we can have a long conversation with him and, and not have to worry about any distractions. We do want to remind you that we are on Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and various other places where you can find podcasts. If you do uh, like what we do, if you like our show, please subscribe. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And also don't forget our other shows in the network, Rampage Radio, which returns next week, and Butting Heads with Steve here and, uh, and Johnny. Also, if you love your Rams history, I know Bobby Belt loves his. He's on here. He loves the Cowboys history. Uh, we were just talking about that before the show. We love ours, too. And Jim Hawk wrote a great book about Hollywood's team called Great Glamour, 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out the son's story of a father and in the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy, Crazy Hirsch, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's also available in both hardback and electronic form in Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and pretty much anywhere else on the internet they sell books. Folks, I read it from cover to cover. I'm going to shame Stevie here and say he's not read it from cover to cover, but maybe one day he will. It's oh, worth man. every penny. I'm going to read it. <laughs> I'm practically it's... addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams, so I need to get my hands on this book. <laughs> so, um, you know, believe it or not, Bobby, um, the first sports book I ever read was Grace Under Fire by Bob St. John, who wrote about <laughs> the um, – Tom Landry being removed, you know, fired. Uh, that's the first. Yes, so that's a that's a that's a very big book within the Cowboys community. Um, and I, I cannot. I've been trying to find new copies of. It. I I had a move, and I believe it was a flood that happened and lost the book. Yeah, but trying to get a new copy of it, it's virtually impossible now. But that book, man, that's that's what got me into sports writing, um, loving sports books. That was the book. It wasn't a Rams book. It was a Cowboys book about the great Tom Landry. Um, yeah, and you, yeah, but saying, I mean, so much of the uh, so much of that history between the two teams, of course, intersected during that era, anyway. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there was still some little Rams connection for you there, just by uh, the transitive properties. Yeah, and I'm, I I need to get that book again. I want to read it again. Years later, I want to read it again. Definitely. Um, so, Bobby, getting into the game itself. How is the injury situation looking for the Cowboys entering uh, Saturday's game? We know that all the game sasses are out now. How's it looking? Uh, Cowboys actually looked um, healthier than they have pretty much all season uh, heading into the Seahawks game, but they sustained a a number of injuries in that game. You had uh, Alan Hearns, of course, breaking his leg uh, that I think everybody – cringed over uh during the game and then you had uh, jeff heath who's actually been able to practice their starting safety he's he's been fine he'll play but uh he uh, dinged up his wrist he had to come out for a little bit against the seahawks uh cole beasley played that entire game almost with a sprained ankle he has not practiced all week he was out at practice on thursday uh doing some physical therapy stuff on the resistance courts um but he he hasn't been a participant in practice at all 
this week, and he's heading into the game questionable. Uh, Blake Jarwin, another one who came on late in the season at tight end for the Cowboys, he has a high ankle sprain, and he's questionable. Uh, that would leave the Cowboys with two tight ends, Rico Gathers and Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz, of course, the rookie out of Stanford, and uh, Rico Gathers, a guy who, other than the, oh, 50 or so snaps he's played in the NFL, hadn't played uh, a single snap of organized football since middle school. Um, so the, the Cowboys are, are thinning out a little bit in their passing attack at receiver and tight end with uh, just two healthy tight ends right now and, uh, you know, missing Alan Hearns and Cole Beasley. Uh, so if they're without Cole Beasley, that's going to be really interesting because, you know, you may not have to put Tavon Austin in the slot, but Tavon Austin is coming off a, a long-standing groin injury that he tweaked a little bit in the game against the Seahawks. And, uh, I mean, you could put Amari Cooper inside, but then you're looking at, okay, who are we playing outside with Michael Gallup now that Alan Hearns is hurt? So uh, the Cowboys definitely have some health questions. Uh, left guard Xavier Suofilo, who took over for uh, Connor Williams halfway through the season after Connor Williams had shown some play strength issues. He tweaked his ankle near the end of the year. Connor Williams played the game against the Seahawks. And even though Suofilo, I think, is healthy enough to play at this point, uh, it looks like the Cowboys are going to roll again with Connor Williams, that they were impressed enough with what he did at the end of the year and against the Seahawks, that he's going to go ahead and keep that job. So that would uh, likely be the matchup for Aaron Donald for much of the night on Saturday. It would be Connor Williams. Gotcha. Yeah, so we or Derek had the fans, Jeff Cavanaugh, on last night on his podcast and he have my buddy yeah yeah i listen to the podcast he did a great job yeah it was a good good show if any of our listeners haven't listened to that yet but he you know he felt like the cowboys actually had a decent chance to win this game on the road and you know we'll see how much of a road game it is that's another topic but now getting close to this game how are you feeling about the cowboys chances and was there anything from the seahawks game last week that made you feel better or worse going into this matchup you know, it's it's funny because I think that I, I feel similar to this game as I do or did heading into the Seahawks game, not about the matchup itself, but about Dallas's chances, which were like I could very easily see them winning the game. I could very easily see them losing the game. Um, I, I think that there's no question that the Rams are a, a more talented football team. They're the better football team than the Cowboys. That's that's not a debate um, They're in all likelihood, the better coached team, uh, not just at the head coach, where, of course, I think anybody would take Sean McVay over Jason Garrett. But, I mean, throughout the rest of the staff, uh, I, I think you can make the argument that uh, the Rams have a stronger staff of assistants than the Cowboys do. So uh, the advantages are there on paper for the Rams, no doubt. But Dallas presents a, a lot of mismatch issues for teams like the Rams. And that's why you saw an offense that, while not completely similar, um, but I mean, Deshaun McVay has has gleaned a lot of his offensive philosophy from things he's uh, learned that Sean Payton really pushed uh, earlier in the mid 2000s, late 2000s. That's where a lot of McVay's philosophy has come from. And I, I, so I think that that same sort of philosophy, same sort of personnel with dynamic running backs that can, you know, spread out and go, you know, outside or in the slot as a receiver and, and make it really difficult to be able to tell what formation the team's going to come out of just by looking in the huddle like it is with normal teams. Um, you know, Dallas was able to match up really well against the Saints that way. The Saints had a, a, undoubtedly their worst offensive performance of the year when they got the Cowboys. And so the Cowboys are really, really well disciplined on defense. The Cowboys uh, are, are fantastic with their pre and post snap communication. There is almost never an instance 
of a busted coverage or somebody being out of position or anything like that. I mean, when it comes to being technically sound and, and having all the logistics down, the Cowboys have that on defense. So, you know, what what they lack maybe in, in sort of a talent discrepancy on offense and defense with any of the remaining opponents in the playoffs, the Cowboys really make up for in just really solid execution, particularly on the pre-snap and, and putting themselves in a position to make a play. So in this game, what are some of the key factors that you are looking for between um, the Rams offense and the Cowboys defense? Um, individual matchups, I mean. Well, I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the Cowboys handle Todd Gurley because the way they chose to handle Alvin Kamara in the game against the Saints, not not for a, a heavy amount of time, but uh, Jordan Lewis had played eight snaps that game, and, and his task on those eight snaps is pretty much you are – glued to Todd Gur- or you are glued to Alvin Kamara so if he's in the backfield you're you know spying that if he's you know goes out to receiver you're going to cover him but that's a guy that they feel is he's a corner so he can hang with a receiver type running back like Gurley or Kamara but he's also a even though he's only you know 180 pounds dripping wet uh, Jordan Lewis is a really physical aggressive tackler and he's a really good tackler and so uh, I mean Alvin Kamara He's got a ton of weight on him, Mark Ingram as well. Cowboys didn't care about that. They felt that Jordan Lewis was aggressive enough and strong enough to make the play when needed. And so I would think that that's going to be the guy assigned when he's on the field. I, I got to think that Jordan Lewis's matchup is you are responsible for Todd Gurley no matter where he lines up in the formation. Um, so I think you're going to see uh, that being a key matchup on the Cowboys defensive side against the offense. Uh, when it comes to defense, you know, I see – in studying for this game, I see how much, and I remember a lot of it from when Wade Phillips was in Dallas, I see how much there's, you know, flipping personnel and, you know, even small pre-snap movements by the defensive line, just shifting technique, you know, a half second before the snap or, or whatever else. And so that's something that the Cowboys themselves don't really do. The Cowboys pretty much, they come out in their formation and, and that's what they're going to do. And I think that's probably why they've done so well uh in terms of with their pre-snap communication and being in the right position is because they've simplified a lot of things and just said you know taking it back to the basics with you know okay line up this is your assignment this is your key this is your gap and go out there and attack it and so uh you know chris richard's brought a lot of intensity on defense and rod marinelli has kind of reinvented himself a little bit and, and they've partnered up and they've done some really great things to coach up this really young defense um, so I would look at Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory, two defensive ends who have had really solid years. Gregory came on really strong in the second half of the year, and he can provide a lot of good pass rush capability on third down. But he's also transitioned to being a pretty good run defender. So I, I think that on defense, look for Jordan Lewis to match up directly with Todd Gurley and also uh, be aware of that Cowboys defensive line where those edge rushers are really strong. And they've got a couple of really good uh, run stuffers in the middle of the defensive line, and Swan Woods and Malik Collins. And looking at the the other matchup, which would obviously be the Cowboys' offense versus the Rams' defense. I mean, we've watched I mean, Derek and I have watched a lot of the Rams' defenses here, and outside of Aaron Donald, almost everybody has had their their bad games and their good games. You know, even a guy like Marcus Peters, who's got blown out on national television a few times, says. He's come along, in my opinion. Um, obviously, the linebackers have been a little flaky and uh, all that. But what opportunities do you see from for guys like Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and Amari Cooper, and maybe even the lesser receivers going against this Rams defense in their current state? 
you know, it's. Uh, I, I don't know that the passing attack is going to be the focal point. I, I think the Cowboys are really going to try and feed Zeke. I mean, I think this could be a 30-touch day for them. I think they would look at it as, you know, uh, the Rams are last in the NFL in terms of yards per attempt allowed on the ground and that they want to get the ball to Zeke and allow him to potentially gash some of that, take advantage of some of the wide sets that the Wade Phillips defense presents for them. The Cowboys have some really athletic offensive linemen that, you know, at the snap of the ball, they can get out and they can start running through those gaps and and really attacking the defense. And I I think that Ezekiel Elliott in space could be a dangerous thing. So I think the Cowboys are going to try and take advantage of that. Like I said, particularly on those sort of wide fronts in the front seven that the Rams show a lot and that Wade Phillips has shown a lot. And so kind of attack that with Ezekiel Elliott for the purposes of moving the ball downfield, but also for the purposes of keeping the Rams offense off the field and for kind of playing ball control offense and holding on to it. In terms of the passing game, I, I'm going to be really interested. If Cole Beasley can't go, I, I think there's a strong chance that the Cowboys are going to show a lot of Amari Cooper in the slot, which is something they have not done. Um, it's just a question of what they're going to have to do on the outside. They can put Tavon Austin out there if he's healthy because he was playing outside before the Amari Cooper trade, and he was – you know, able to get downfield. He was able to beat one-on-one coverage. And so, you know, I think with uh, if the Cowboys can get a matchup of Tavon Austin outside and allow him to use some of his speed against, you know, older corner like Aqib Tlaib and, and let Amari Cooper do his job in the slot, which part of the reason why Amari Cooper's been such a huge addition for the Cowboys on offense is because how quickly he can gain separation. I mean, Amari Cooper can gain separation within the first five yards of a route just because he's so smooth and such a good technician and, and is so good at being able to free up. So I think that's going to be key. Aaron Donald, 20 and a half sacks this year, and the vast majority of those have come three, you know, under three seconds from snap to getting to the quarterback. So quick release is going to be important for Dak Prescott this week, and I think the best way they're going to try and do that is you know, get the ball to Amari Cooper who can get open very quickly and, and do it where he's closer to the line of the scrimmage and can break to the middle of the field quicker and hopefully take advantage of some of the space that the Rams defense shows. I, I got to say, the I, I think I'm with you on, you know, testing Amari Cooper out in the slot, but, you know, the, the Tavon Austin optimism from the outside has given me a little bit of uh, deja vu over here <laughs> about, uh, you know, <laughs> thinking he's going to be able to do something. But I did tell Derek, I have a bad feeling that Tavon scores in this game against us. I don't know what it is, but. Tavon Austin, I believe it was Janoris Jenkins. Uh, Tavon Austin beat one-on-one coverage week two, was out playing on the outside, ran a go route, gave a little nifty little double move and freed it up and scored, uh, which before Amari Cooper got here was the longest uh, play of the season for the Cowboys. It was a 64-yard touchdown on Sunday Night Football. So uh, Tavon Austin is not somebody I'd want to rely on, but uh, certainly as somebody as a, a decoy who can get downfield quickly, put him on the outside and, and potentially draw coverage away to free things up quicker for Amari Cooper. I, I think they'd be willing to do that. Yeah, the problem with him being a decoy is, is oftentimes that's all he can ever be is a decoy. And the Rams know that. The Rams you know, know him better than anybody else out there. And so I would be really sure. surprised if they fall for much of anything when it comes to him. I, I do have concerns about what you're talking about with, with Ezekiel Elliott. And I do want to give this kind of context, too. Last in, in the league, an average given up um, per carry, yes, but a lot of times – they were up big late in games and just were playing had second stringers in as well. So that sure. number is distorted a little bit. Not a lot. Let me, let me I wanna be honest about that. Not a lot, but it is distorted some. And this actually had me really thinking this through. The Rams have a bit of an X factor right now, and that's CJ Anderson. And um, it would not surprise me. Anderson, a guy who absolutely uh, gashed the Cowboys uh, about a year ago with the Broncos. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. And, and, and see, what I'm thinking is it, is it would not surprise me if the Rams tried to go back to what they were doing early in the year and what they did against the Cardinals and the 49ers here late in the year, which is running like crazy, trying to keep those offenses off the field, keep Ezekiel Elliott off the field, keep him from wearing down our defensive line. So it would not surprise me if all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we got ourselves into a running game war come Saturday night, an old-school batter em out football game instead of what we normally are used to with this Rams offense. It would not surprise me at all. Not surprise me either. I, I I would just say this, and and hoping not to come off as a, a blatant homer of sorts because I don't want to be thought of as a blatant homer. But I think if, if it turns into a, a a running game where two teams are trying to play sort of a throwback football game, I think that definitively favors Dallas because what you're talking about is I mean when you look at the way Wade Phillips will set up you know Aaron Donald and Indomitian Sue and things like that. I mean you're looking at like defensive tackles that are playing so wide out that I mean they're playing almost. Uh, in some situations for technique, like right over the offensive tackle. So a lot of space in the middle for really actually athletic interior linemen that the Cowboys have. Connor Williams, Joe Looney, Zach Martin, they can get up to the second level in a hurry. And, uh, you know, those play strength issues for uh, Connor Williams become kind of null and void when he's able to just get free up to the second level and and start taking out linebackers. And, And so that's where I would think that, you know, Dallas would be able to pick up some chunk plays if that was the direction that they were going, particularly if, you know, Wade Phillips is going to leave that middle open for the interior offense line to get to the second level and start going after linebackers. Um, but also in the sense that I think that, you know, uh, Antoine Woods has been swallowing up double teams uh, at the one technique for the Cowboys for the last several weeks and just, I, I mean, eating up blockers. And that's given free runs to guys like Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch and now coming off the bench, Sean Lee. And so I, I think the Cowboys' strength, arguably, on defense is, is the very – middle of the front seven you know the two linebackers there in that nickel defense with uh Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith and then Antoine Woods and Malik Collins eating up blocks in the center I I think that if it were to go that route I I would think that would probably favor Dallas just because of I I think the general front that Wade Phillips runs is susceptible to what the Cowboys interior does best on offense and I think uh you know playing a, a run style game uh, plays into the hands of, of two really good young athletic linebackers and Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch. Yeah, but I'm flipping it around as well. And you know, I'm talking about in terms of you're, you're mentioning the offense with what Dallas can do and then what the Rams do. But the Rams also, you know, that midseason slump is because they weren't running the ball well. They weren't even trying. They were they were getting pass happy. When they got back to basics, what they had been doing early part of the year, this team can run the football. They know what they're doing. And oh, then sure. they adjusted also, and it was really definitive, and people don't realize this in the first quarter, especially the Eagles game. They lost that game, but they adjusted to that very same game plan you're talking about with, with a actually part of their best short passing game of the year. And there's a couple mistakes that that messed it all up for them. Actually, it was Hog Girl getting hurt is what it was. And so, yeah, and if they, I, I think the, the best thing for the Rams in that instance would be definitely to set up the play action and really attack Chidobe Awuzier. Uh, Byron Jones has been pretty locked down on, on the outside, but I, I mean, Chido Awuzier has struggled all year. He has really tough time finding the ball. And, and, you know, will once he's, you know, kind of turned his head around and realized where the ball is, it's already been caught and they've started running downfield. So yeah, I don't doubt that we could see uh, that turn into a short passing attack that really kind of tries to put. Uh, Cheeto Wuzier on the outside, and then uh, you know a guy like Anthony Brown in the nickel. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not saying I want this to happen. By the way, <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying that it wouldn't surprise me given the Rams' problem stopping the run if they tried to keep their offense on the field as much as humanly possible, keep the keep sure. Dallas from getting into a rhythm on their offense. And so, hey, Steve, you want to you want to cover Golden Ram real quick? I can. Yeah, we'll give a shout out real quick here to our friends at the Golden Ram Barbershop. If you're looking to support one of your own out there in the Orange County area and like that old school classic barbershop experience, you got to check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Our friend Sal Martinez, who you could hear on an earlier episode of this podcast this week, opened up his shop as a shrine of the Rams on the day they left for St. Louis. He's kept the lights on ever since. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS. Again, 714-894-7267. Use the promo code RAMSTALK so he knows who sent you. You'll get a discount on an already affordable haircut. The Golden Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturdays from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sundays, it's closed, guys. Sal's got to watch his football. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. A visit to Sal's shop is worth it. Not only just to enjoy all the great Rams memorabilia you're going to find there, but Sal also provides that old-school classic barbershop experience. He's going to be talking Rams football with you and whatever else you want. Trust me, guys, you won't regret going. Sally managed to make our friend Derek here look pretty normal. Well, somewhat normal. Somewhat. All right, so, Bobby, there's, there's, we know you're a historian of this game. We know how much you enjoy Cowboys history. And we love your take on what was once a pretty interesting playoff rivalry. Between 1973 and 1985, the Cowboys and the Rams, they played eight times the playoffs, splitting those games. What can you tell us about those games and the tradition of that age um, with Rams and with the Rams and Cowboys playing against each other? Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, interesting to look at how it it broke in terms of that that split beat 4-4, how I think you saw kind of the generational shift from the 70s into the 80s when the Cowboys going into the 80s started aging a little bit more and and were you know getting out of the Staubach era and and you know losing the Drew Pearsons and things like that that's when you saw the Rams start taking control of that playoff matchup I think they won uh three out of the last four matchups from 79 to 85 and uh, the Cowboys of course you know winning those three out of four in the mid to late 70s but yeah I mean the Cowboys did a a, a lot of damage to a, a potentially really spectacular Rams run in the 70s and, and a chance to really be thought of as the team from the NFC. You know, I, I think everybody's talked before about, um, you know, the Steelers as the team of the 70s, but that, like, if the Steelers hadn't been there, the Raiders really missed their chance. They were able to, you know, get some traction in the 70s, but that the Raiders had, uh, you know, kind of had to play little brother a little bit and just taste a little bit of glory and uh, instead finish second often in the AFC to the dominant Steelers teams. Uh, while there's a little bit of that at play with, uh, you know, Dallas having that with the, the Vikings, I think you can make an argument that that more exists for the Rams. The Rams only made one Super Bowl. They didn't even win one in the 70s. And so I, I think that people, uh, you know, fail to recognize them as frequently as uh, the Raiders were looked at. But, but I mean, in a lot of ways, you're looking at a, a, a team that missed out on just as many opportunities because there was a dominant team in the NFC in the 70s with the Cowboys, like I say, ousting them three times uh, that, you know, the Raiders dealt with with the Steelers. It's it's similar to what the Packers had to go through with the Cowboys in the early 90s, early to mid 90s. And so, uh, you know, the Rams were a one of they're kind of one of those 
forgotten teams a little bit in, in terms of, uh, you know, how strong they were, uh, you know, from the mid-70s up through the mid-80s. And I, I, I really, we were talking about this before the show, I, I've always really loved Vince Ferragamo as, mm-hmm. you know, uh, somebody who, you know, started getting really obsessed with watching old games as much as I could, collecting old VHS tapes and, and things like that. I remember watching Vince Ferragamo as a teenager and just, you know, seeing him against the Steelers in Super Bowl 14 and just being struck by that's the most modern looking quarterback I've seen throw the ball here in the 70s, like out of all the games I've seen. Like that was a guy who seemed more built to grow into the 80s. And of course, he had, you know, his issues where, as you had mentioned, well, like we we're talking about, he had his issues with benching and poor play and you know, going off to the CFL and things like that. But, uh, you know, Vince Bergamo is actually one of my very earliest old school memories of a, uh, you know, of a player outside of a Dallas Cowboy, just because of, you know, watching him play in that Super Bowl against the uh, Steelers, where he he definitely, in my opinion, outdueled uh, Terry Bradshaw. And if it wasn't for John Stallworth, who should have actually been the MVP there in uh, Super Bowl 14, then I think the Rams win that Super Bowl in all likelihood. Um, instead, it's just kind of a, a footnote and a, a forgotten, you know, a- aspect of NFC history, I think, how dominant that team was, uh, you know, in terms of the mid-70s upwards. But, um, you know, lots of great memories for the Cowboys and the Rams there, but the one that sticks out, of course, is a, a negative one, and that's the uh, Billy Waddy touchdown from mm-hmm. 50 yards out just outside of two minutes um, that prevented the Cowboys from getting the revenge of that uh, bitter Super Bowl 13 loss to the Steelers. And, uh, you know, it was something that still to this day is, is you know, it's something that I, I can see the play vividly playing out in front of me in my mind whenever I think of that. Uh, that's that's one of the most, you know, vivid highlights I can think of that's taking place in a Cowboys game just because it was, you know, so shocking. And you, and you watch Waddy just, you know, catch it around the, the 15 or 20 or whatever it was and just, like, turn on the burners and just, you know, <laughs> clearly being the fastest of the 22 people out there on the field in that moment, just blazing by, you know, splitting through four Cowboys defenders and, you know, cutting it upfield. And uh, so a lot of great memories, a lot of great history there. But I, I do feel like it, we were kind of – history has kind of forgotten what that Cowboys and Rams – dueling was like in that it was you know a little bit of Steelers Raiders light and that I think people mm-hmm. just you know focus so heavily on what the Steelers and the Raiders were they kind of forget how the Rams also had those same sort of struggles and heartbreaks that the Raiders had just on the NFC side yeah and I think because kind of since then the Rams when the Cowboys have been good haven't and then when the Rams have been good uh the Cowboys usually haven't been great so I think you no know, the last time they were both in the playoffs together was 0-3 and I mean the the Quincy Carter Cowboys year wasn't that memorable outside of a select group of Cowboys fans, I would assume. But uh, so yeah, it's it's nice that both teams are are good again, and we could get get that rivalry restored a little bit. Yeah, I mean eight eight playoff matchups within thirteen years. That's astounding. They hadn't met any in the you know fourteen years prior to that or whatever. The Dallas and the Rams existed together, and it wasn't they haven't met up again since then. So. Uh, you know, Green Bay has been able to catch up in that time in terms of as Dallas's most frequent playoff opponent because the Packers have also played the Cowboys eight times in the playoffs now. Um, but this will be Saturday night breaking it again. And it's, it's funny because, you know, I, I don't think if you ask the, you know, any, I think if you ask the random Cowboys or Rams fan on the street, who has the team played most frequently in the playoffs, neither one would say the other. And I think it probably stunned them to realize that. But it's just because, again, that, that you know, mid-70s to mid-80s rivalry has kind of seemingly been forgotten by history. 
and yet just because 1985, 86 season, and that was – to now it's so long ago. But mm-hmm. later on you have that, that early 90s run with the 49ers and Cowboys are going at it. The Packers are in there too. You have the Packers going on in the 60s as well. We know that your rival is always going to be the Redskins you know, or the Eagles. But in terms of playoff rivalries, of all these rivalries, how do you rank them if you're a Cowboys guy? Um, I think if you look at Cowboys history, you'd probably say, I mean, the one that's been the most consistent uh, from the 60s up through now is the Packers. Um, that's There's so much history for each, you know, generation of Cowboys fan uh, with the Packers. Um, just because, you know, the Cowboys pretty well dominated things in the 90s, but, you know, they had their struggles in the 60s with them. And then there's a lot of history there. And then, you know, you get up into this current generation and the, the whole Des caught it thing. I mean, that's the defining moment for Cowboys fans of this era has been the Des caught it moment. Um, and that was against the Packers. And then, of course, Dak Prescott's first playoff game, dueling with Aaron Rodgers and tying the game with, you know, under a minute left, only to see Aaron Rodgers make another miraculous play and Mason Crosby kick a 50-yard field goal and boot you out of the playoffs. And so I, I think the Packers definitely rank number one. Um, you know, it, it's tough for me to say the 49ers are two, um, just because it was, I, I mean, it is the most intense rivalry I think they've had, period. Um, but it, it was just, it was it was relegated to such a short, you know, four-year window or whatever it was. Um, so, so it's tough for me to say that, but I, I would say just, I guess, with the intensity and, and how much that meant to shifting, uh, you know, history, the fact that the Cowboys were able to triumph over the 49ers so many times. And even in the loss, I mean, guys like Michael Irvin and Troy Aikman still look back and say the 94 NFC championship game loss to uh, the 49ers is one of their favorite games of all time because they fell down 21 nothing seven minutes in, had turned it over three times in seven minutes, and, and they fought back and they clawed back with what they felt was kind of an empty polo shirt for a coach in Barry Switzer, and that it was just a, a good example of those guys and their talent coming together and fighting as, like, brothers to get back in that game. And so uh, I, I would say the 49ers are second, but then, I mean, I think you got to put the Rams third, and, and the Rams are a really close, close third. It may be 2A Niners, 2B Rams. Um, because there was, you know, it's such a, a frequency that's happened throughout history, and it is a, a dead split. And I, I think that, you know, we're hopefully in for what could be, you know, this this new future rivalry that I, I, I don't know that it's going to end just with this year. Because, I mean, you look at the fact that, you know, the Rams have a, a young, bright, you know, intriguing head coach that everybody's trying to copy around the NFL now. And you've got really young, talented players throughout the line. If you've got some veterans, you know, along the offensive line, you know, Akeem Tlaib's getting up there. There's some guys on defense that, you know, they're not going to be around much longer on, on this roster. But, um, you know, there's a, the, the core is really young and really talented, including at coach. And the Cowboys, uh, you know, this was something that was out there today on Pro Football Talk uh, from Shereen Williams. It's actually something I had brought up, and she went and called Elias Sports Bureau to get the answer. The Cowboys last week didn't have a single 30-year-old player starting on offense or defense. And I had to think that was, you know, some sort of rarity. And so she went and looked it up. Last time that happened, that an NFL team in the playoffs had a uh, starting lineup on both sides of the ball without anybody over the age of 30 uh, was January 1988 with the New Orleans Saints. So, I, I mean, the Cowboys have a really young talented core 
just like you know the Rams do. And and you know with New Orleans being the only other I think potential team to kind of hang around this thing just with their young talent, you're looking at potentially the two most important people on that team being gone in the next couple of years in Sean Payton and Drew Brees. So I, I think that you know there's a, a lot of history where the Rams are kind of a, a forgotten opponent for new school Cowboys fans, but you know my hope is this is the start of what can become a really intense, really historical, you know, revisiting of that playoff rivalry just with what seems to be two really talented young teams in the NFC in a, a conference that seems to be lacking that. That 30-year-old set is wild because, you know, we, we got a young team too, obviously, but we're also starting players older than our head coach. So it, it's, <laughs> Truth. it's pretty nuts that you guys are that young on defense. And I mean – the, the young youth about the Rams, is we obviously have a lot of vets that I think will also filter out over the next year or two. But, you know, the core guys, Todd Gurley, Donald, Goff, and to a lesser extent, like Brandon Cooks, Rob Havenstein, I mean, those guys aren't going anywhere. They're locked up for a while. Goff will be, uh, assuming nothing crazy happens. But, yeah, man, it, it'd be awesome to get this. Uh, hopefully we had a good game here, and hopefully, yeah, the rivalry continues. Well, there is yeah, something special. I, I think that, you know, that there is that – I think when you look across the conference, there's either the talented teams are, are not young or, or the, the young teams are have yet to prove that they're even talented. And so I, I do think that there is a, a nice little window here to, if not become the Cowboys and Rams of yesteryear, at least become what, you know, the Seahawks and the 49ers were for a couple of years in, in recent years. Just, just, you know, two really talented teams that are going to be hanging around each other for three or four years and potentially running into each other uh, frequently. There is something really special, though, about playing the Cowboys if you're a Rams guy. You know, even going back to – Steve's going to love this. Austin Davis. He loved Austin Davis. Um, <laughs> uh, I can go back – I go back as far as 1992, the first year, the first big run for the Cowboys. The Rams upset them in Dallas, 27-23. Yep. I remember that game. And so over the years, there's been a lot of really – Fun games. I even have, you know, I'm not gonna, I hate to admit it, but even DeMarco Murray ran all over the Rams a few years back when the Rams were horrible and Murray just torched them. Those were game highlights that were all over ESPN and everything. And you remember those things. And so I do want to see a Dallas Los Angeles rivalry. And there's also something else to add, too, and that is without Jerry Jones. There's a really good chance we're not talking about the Los Angeles Rams right now. <laughs> yeah, I'd say there's almost no chance, which so. I, I, I know would have to embitter some Rams fans and probably make this a, a bit of a personal game. But, um, you know, it's funny with how uh, unfamiliar things are in terms of, you know, in different divisions, haven't squared off against each other a ton recently. Um, you know, having this long drought of meeting up in the playoffs and things like that. Even with that unfamiliarity, there's a ton of familiarity here. Um, I, I mean, when you look at the fact that uh, you take, you know, the two corners right now, Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib, I, there's probably not two corners that have gone up against Amari Cooper more in Amari Cooper's career in the NFL than those two guys. And, uh, you know, then you look at uh, the fact that uh, Wade Phillips, the defensive coordinator, was, of course, on the Cowboys coaching staff at one point uh, and, and was you know, the last head coach before Jason Garrett uh, was the head coach when Jason Garrett was offensive coordinator here. There's there's history there. And then the fun fact that I 
kind kind of dawned on me this week, and I went and researched it and was able to confirm it. Uh, nobody since Sean McVay took over as offensive coordinator in 2014 for the Redskins. Um, nobody since 2014 on when Sean McVay has had control over an offense, nobody has had the game plan for a Sean McVay offense more often than Rod Marinelli. Uh, this will be, I believe the eighth or ninth time that, uh, since 2014 that the Cowboys have played a Sean McVay offense. Um, and so they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, right there for uh you know having a, a a lot of even though the personnel may not be completely familiar with each other with some of these young guys uh you know there's a lot of familiarity with these coaching staffs and, and with a few individual matchups and even the young guys that that don't necessarily know each other uh from you know playing each other in the nfl these are guys that i mean have all been taken and you know really high in the draft in the last several years and those guys all spend months training together at the same top facilities leading up to the draft and uh you know they because they're the top players from top big schools they end up playing each other a lot in college and being really familiar with each other there and uh you know you have the dallas picking fourth the year that the rams took jared goff the cowboys Mm -hmm. worked out jared goff a ton jared goff was in that building a lot and met with the cowboys a lot and so even though there is a on the surface what seems to be some you know rarity and some unfamiliarity here in recent years, there, there's actually a, a lot of connections here where I think these players and these staffs and these teams really know each other on a much more personal level than your standard playoff game. Well, the one thing too also is, you know, across the league, a lot of people scoff. You know, America's team, the Cowboys, blah, and they have a lot of haters. You're not going to find that with. Rams fans now, they know, they know yeah. what Jerry Jones did, and so you know there's a certain you know of course come Saturday night it's, it's competitive nature. There's a lot of gratefulness towards Jerry Jones and the Cowboys for stepping in there and getting this team back to L.A. And so it's a, give me a, it's just a different dynamic now. It really is. Yeah, yeah, and I because I, I, yeah, I think it's that's something where like I say that that could be something where. You have a, a ton of the Rams fan base that's, you know, potentially very grateful to Jerry and then another chunk of the fan base that's really, you know, angry at Jerry for, for making that happen. But it is something that, um, you know, I, I think it's there's uh, it's a certain, you know, uh, special air, a certain mystique about it. Uh, this sort of a match of just the, the poetic nature of, you know, the Rams going there with Jerry and, and not just the Rams going there with Jerry, but I mean, that is where Dak Prescott, it was a preseason game, but Dak Prescott burst onto the scene. That's where, if you ask anybody in the Dallas media that night at the LA Coliseum in 2016, when uh, he was playing his first preseason game was going up against the Rams first game back in LA. Um, there was a, uh, he, he is not a good practice player. And all anybody had seen him in at that point was practice. And they watched him go out there. And, and even if it was a preseason game and vanilla defenses, there was a, you know, a bit of a buzz that, oh, that guy can make throws. Like, oh, that guy seems to got something to him. And, and so there's there's definitely a, a bit of poetry to the fact that, you know, Dak Prescott has a chance to end a, a long, long drought of NFC Championship game. Uh, you know, being without an NFC championship game appearance for the Cowboys and to do it where he first kind of burst onto the scene and caught the attention of his teammates and, and the local media here. Well, I guess now it comes down to the actual game itself. And uh, what's your prediction? <laughs> oh, this is, uh, this is going to be hard. I, I'm going to say that I, I think that I think Dallas can hang with the Rams. 
I, I don't think that we're going to see a blowout either way. And I, I think that I would not be shocked if Dallas were to take this game. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it is still on the road. And, uh, you know, we saw the kind of problems that Sean McVay gave to the Cowboys last year and, and the difficulty that the Cowboys had kind of keeping up with those scheme issues. And, and at the end of the day, the Rams have a better coaching staff and a more talented team. So just like with the Saints, whereas I wouldn't be surprised if it happened, and I think the Cowboys are a good matchup uh, schematically, I, I just don't think they'll have enough talent. But I could end up being wrong like I was with the Saints game. So as it stands now, I think that I, I would have the Rams uh, winning this game by uh, a touchdown or fewer. I, th- I think we are going to be down to a one-possession game late in the fourth quarter. Steve, what did you, what did you have here, Steve? I went 27 to 20, so which was actually the spread, uh, even though that seven point spread I thought was a little too generous in favor of the Rams. But yeah, I think it's going to be a competitive game. I'm, like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm cautiously optimistic that we get a good Rams team on Sunday and not what we saw against the Bears offensively or even the Eagles. Uh, as long as the Rams can get a complete game, you know, even if they make a mistake here and there, if if they could contain Ezekiel Elliott at least and, you know, kind of contain Amari Cooper as well. And if Jared Goff has a little bit of time to throw, I, I'm, I'm confident that we win. But, you know, I'm, I'm a Rams fan, so it's still – I haven't seen them win a playoff game since I was, like, nine. So <laughs> I'm still a little nervous. But, I, yeah. I, I, I thought you I, were still in your mother's womb, dude. <laughs> Come on, 04? Or what was it, 05? 03. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Oh, uh, oh, 04, yeah. Oh, 04. I guess January. I was, all right. I was like 10. I was going to say, I don't, y'all didn't win in 03 because I remember that. That was the Steve Smith double overtime. Yeah, game. and then the yeah. next year was the win in Seattle. There was, um, for, for me here, I'm going 28 24. The Rams just typically don't, do not cover the line in these games. They, they are usually within that line. I am going to go with the Rams. I do not like this matchup. I've been telling Steve that for a while. I don't like this matchup at all. And you don't make me feel any better about it, Bobby, at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to be like I say, I, th- I think the Rams are. I, I think when it comes down to the the worst case scenario that you're looking at, the, the best argument in favor of Dallas is just simply fit and matchups. Because when it comes down to just pure running down the talent of the staffs and the players on each side, I think that's easily the Rams in both check marks. So so the Cowboys are going to have to pray for a, a schematic mismatch really playing into their favor. All right, so Bobby, can you let people know where they can follow? I know you, like I mentioned before, you are a man of many hats. So can you tell people where they can follow your work and keep up with what you do? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all going to be consolidated on Twitter. So anything I do, I'll just kind of push out on Twitter. But it's at Bobby Belt TX. Um, yeah, I mean, I do a lot of things. I uh, host a Cowboys show every week. I also, you know, do uh, reports for SB Nation Radio from the home games. I'm, you know, Jane Slater's producer for NFL Network out at the Cowboys facility during the week. So yeah, lots of stuff that I do throughout those different jobs, but uh, you know, it's all going to be consolidated and pushed out to you over on Twitter. So at Bobby Belt CX. Thanks so much for coming on, spending some time talking history. Our, we have a lot of listeners who are into history. We've that that's our niche in uh, the Rands Podcast world. So it's always great to have you on to talk a little bit about that. We really appreciate you taking time, especially on a Thursday night as we get close to this game. And uh, good luck to you guys. Um, there's nothing Absolutely, but respect here. Uh, yeah, Thanks hopefully, on, like Bobby. I say, hopefully, yeah, hopefully, it's the uh, the beginning of a, a renewed playoff rivalry, and we love it. We would love that. That would, that would mean the Rams actually go in the playoffs every year. <laughs> We're and close the Cowboys. To it. Hey, what do we do? 
Yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. All right, thanks so much again for coming on, folks. Bobby Belt, again, check him up on Twitter. Um, really good follow, too, by the way. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks. All right, so before we move on, sponsorship. Uh, folks, we do need sponsors. I'm not going to lie. Okay, so if you want to work with us, I can tell you flat out. Steve, you ready for this? I'm ready. ready for this? All right, the last three days. And we, I have to admit, we had a little bit of a doldrum there um, during – uh, Christmas season, it was really bad actually. Like everybody just went away, but in the last three days, our podcast numbers are combined the three best days we've ever had. Ever today uh, alone was our biggest podcasting day ever. I am not even remotely kidding, folks. So thank you so much. It means our footprint's getting bigger, and uh, but in order to keep doing what we do, we need to have good partners. So. Give us an email, please. And if you're interested in what Rams Talk 1945 at gmail.com, you can also send us a voicemail at 657 666 We have a media kit ready to get out to you. We would appreciate the opportunity to work with you, to um, share your product out there, and also um, continue to make this our podcast network, Butting Heads, Rams Talk Radio, and Rampage Radio um, among the best that there is to offer in Rams podcasts. Okay, Steve. I did put the word out on Twitter. I didn't give a whole lot of notice. So we have two mailbag questions tonight. You ready for these things? Let's hear it. All right. This is from Mark Essa. He asks, will the field be covered before the game, given there's a chance of rain in the morning? I mean, you would you would hope so, right? I. It's already not, I'd say, one of the worst fields in the NFL. I mean, no disrespect to the Coliseum, but the thing is a fossil. So I I would hope that they cover the field, um, and to be honest, a, a wet field I don't I don't think that benefits us against the Cowboys. Uh, I don't really think it hurts us much, but uh, given our running back is coming back from an injury, I would like that field as pristine as it possibly can be. I'm um, I'm just thinking just for a moment, and Mark, this is no offense, buddy. Um, that's kind of a weird question to ask us. I just <laughs> hey, I don't know. Man. We had a game canceled. Or moved this year because of a crappy field. So and this is true. Uh, this is true. It's just you know I would say typically, uh, I mean if, if there's a chance of rain in the morning, this game's going to be in the evening. Uh, by then, I'm guessing it's going to burn off. So there you go. And look, man, I'll be honest. Um, you know my my dad. He he knows a lot. Of, he can pretty much do anything around the house or whatnot. I'm about as white collar millennial as they come. I don't know anything about lawn care or grass. Uh, so I trust the guys at the Coliseum to hopefully be covering the field because, yeah, that is definitely not my forte. Well, no, it's just the, the problem, and I think what he's commenting on is, is really that field. I mean, they're, they're not used to getting a whole lot of rain out there. Let's just be honest about that. So, true. you know, there, there there is definitely concern about how the conditions will be. I would say they've been playing this. They've known all week there could be rain, so there you go. Um, John DuPont, J. D-U-P-S-5. He asked, when is Wade Phillips going to redesign some pressure packages and blitzes to get pressure on the quarterback when Aaron, when Donald is double teamed? Um, you want to go? Got this one? Well, I mean, I think the the big criticism you can give the Rams coaching staff this year is that they didn't adapt much at times. You know, the offensively they run, you know, their, their main set is, I think, by far – 
the most common set in the NFL. You know, they don't really switch up the personnel much. When Cooper Cup went down, you kind of just slotted Josh Reynolds in, moved some things around, and then it, it stayed the same. So uh, Wade, we give Wade a lot of credit for his second-half adjustments, but, I mean, yeah, man, I'd like to see some first-half adjustments, and I'd like to see him tailor this defense to what he expects the Cowboys to do instead of just seeing what happens and then adjusting at halftime when, you know, as we saw in the Saints game, sometimes it's too late. Well, I mean, I think we actually saw some packages later in the year as well. We saw, actually, we saw the Rams make more adjustments in those last two games than I'd seen them make all year on defense. So I'm thinking what they probably did, honestly, once they got to 11-1, they stopped showing their cards. That's what I'm betting here, okay, as much. And whether that hurt them or helped them, I don't know. But I would think they know their, they know their weaknesses. They know that they're having a hard time getting pressure up front. I'm willing to bet we're going to see some different packages this weekend. I also know that Phillips, his defense is very set in what it does. And he doesn't like to make too many adjustments either. So and that's a good thing, by the way. I know sometimes it's not a good thing, but in this case, it, what he does normally works. Normally. Really hasn't as much as we want to this year, but normally does work. So I, I would guess we're going to see some. I, I'm guessing that there's been some locked away for a while now. Yeah, and the last two games, you know, they, they should have been able to win on town alone. So I you really wouldn't expect any tricks to come out of the bag in those games. But you got to hope that they switch it up. And I, I think you're right. You know, as, as much as we can complain about the Bears game and the Eagles game, the bye has basically been locked up for a, like over a month. Um, so even longer now, it's been a while since that Chiefs To game. a degree. So, I mean, I, yeah, it wasn't completely locked up. You had to win a couple games. But, I mean, you know, we lost the, the two hardest games of that stretch, and we still got to buy um, not easily. But, I mean, we, we won three and two, and we got the buy. So I, I think that you got to think these guys have stuff in their hand, pockets. I know Sean McVay knows that this is a playoff game. He probably has to win. And, yeah, man, I, I have faith in the coaching staff, but you know, we definitely got to see him mix it up, and hopefully they will. All right, last question. This is from Matt Egan, um, Matt Egan 92 on Twitter. He asks, will you be holding your breath every time the Cowboys punt to Natson? I know I will. I, I guess it's less <laughs> on Natson and more on last year's playoff game. But, I mean, yeah, the, the fumble, you know, it's – it happens. His fumble a couple weeks ago. I don't think it was the end of the world, but yeah, after last year, man, I, if he fair caught it every time, I wouldn't even be upset. Okay, a couple news items. Uh, the game status today came out. The only real thing that's significant um, that is bad, maybe, would be for the status. Let me get it pulled right here. I just had it, just had it, just had it, and it went away. Blank Countess was full today. Todd Gurley, full. Marcus Joyner, full. Uh, game status, I guess that means they're playing because there's nothing marked for them. Ethan Westbrooks banged his thigh, according to Sean McVay. He's questionable for the game. Um, also, we now know that the reportedly, uh, per Adam Schefter and a couple of reports out there as well, Rams quarterback coach Zach Taylor is expected to be hired as the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, which would, to me, kind of stink. That's more turnaround on the staff, and that means that Sean McVay has to go out there and find somebody. 
Yeah, but Again. like, like, do you think he deserves a head coaching job? No, I don't. But you know what? A lot of folks would have said Sean McVay didn't deserve a coach job yet. But he'd you proven know. that he could run it, run a pretty successful offense in Washington. I mean, he's he's the offensive coordinator here. It's like every every guy that has done anything with Sean McVay over the past three years is getting head coaching jobs. I mean, a guy who literally got fired from his college coaching job and then hired as an offensive coordinator just got a head coaching job because he fits the Sean McVay criteria. I just I cannot believe these hires that people are going to I mean Matt LaFleur got the Packers job. The Titans offense was not good this year. Like I it's it's mind blowing to me these well, head coaching hires. I mean let, let's hold on a minute. You know, let's let's have a little bit of NFL conversation here. Let's pull up the hires thus far. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it up right now. I was not expecting this conversation, but it's a worthy one to have. Okay. It's really um, the the Kingsbury thing is like, I know a lot of Jets fans and they were like super bummed out when he got the job, but like he literally got fired from his alma mater and didn't rebound with a college head coaching offer. He was taking an offensive coordinator offer and then weeks later he's the talk of the town just because he was Patrick Mahomes' coach in college. Okay, well, like, here, let's, I, let, let's grade it, okay? First one, uh, Cardinals hire Cliff Kingsbury, grade it, A, B, C, D, F, what? F. I, I don't understand. I mean, I get the logic, but and I might eat my words on this, but he got fired from his college coaching job. He had one winning season, and just because he coached Pat Mahomes is why it's like I feel like the only reason why he's getting these offers. Yeah, the Texas offense was cooking under him, but that's been a, an offense that has been cooking for decades. I mean, he wasn't coaching the year they beat Texas in the playoff with Michael, or not in the playoff, but in a big game with Michael Crabtree. I mean. That that system has always been churning out, you know, high powered offense. It wasn't the same system though, you know. No, they, it wasn't. But you know, the the school in general has that kind of pedigree, and I just if you're gonna go poach a college coach, I don't know why the UFC offensive coordinator that just got fired from his alma mater, which are the hardest schools to get fired from. I feel like is did you say UFC? Guy, USC. He's <laughs> USC. <laughs> okay. USC. Um, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say F as well. Um, I just don't see how you can get fired from your own water. Go, I think his record there was 35 and 40. Yeah. You know what? He can develop quarterbacks. What else can you do? You haven't shown anything else. And I don't think he's a match for Rosen. I really don't think, he, I don't think he was a match for Rosen at all. He's a different skill set than, than what Pat Mahomes had. So, you know, there you go. That's my feeling on Kingsbury. I think the Cardinals struck out. I really believe they struck out. But then again, they're in our division, so great. Okay. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't think Wilkes is a, a great coach, but I mean, I think you got to give your head coach two years. Uh, you know, I didn't think Vance Joseph was a great coach either, but I did like that Denver at least gave him a second year. And I mean, it didn't get better, and he got he got fired, and he probably deserved well, it. Well, I mean, the problem with Wilkes was he was just in over his head, and he proved yeah. it. I mean, it, it, it was it, a, there was no chance of winning this year with that team. So I there wasn't, uh, but it doesn't mean you're, you become you're bad either. You can be competitive, and a lot of times that team was not competitive when they probably they had enough team, they had enough talent to be competitive in games, and very rarely were they actually competitive. This looked lost, and so I know I um, I think it was Therese Paler for Yahoo Sports made the comments and made it, wrote an article about how it was ridiculous that Wilkes was fired. And I'm just thinking, you know, sometimes you just know 
they, it's a bad fit. Why spend another year trying to make something happen that's not working? Sometimes you know. Not always, yeah. but sometimes you know. Um, here you go. Cleveland Browns. They hired uh, interim offensive coordinator Freddie Kitchens. Um, where do you grade this? I mean, I'd probably give it like a B. That that offense was cooking under Greg Williams, and you know it wasn't Greg Williams who was doing the cooking. Um, if they, I don't know if anything has been announced yet, but if they could actually keep Williams and keep that coaching staff together, I, I'd probably give. Well, this no, a they minus. fired Williams, man. He's gone. They fired Williams. I don't think well, so this is what happens when this is what happens when you spend your days in New York City, whatever. He was the interim head coach, though. He, but they they hired Kitchens and they immediately let Williams go. Okay, well, but I think enough. you had to, to be honest with you. If you know, you don't want to have Williams. Well, you don't want to have Kitchens looking over his shoulder. Yeah. So, okay. You're right. Well, I'll give it a B then. Um, and I, yeah, you don't really want those two together. But I think we all know, even though. I thought you kind of had to give Greg Williams a job after that run. It probably wouldn't have been the smart move. But, yeah, I, Kitchens is a B. I mean, I think one of those guys should have kept the job. I think those players are having a lot of fun playing for those two. So um, you go with Kitchens, who has more head coaching potential than Greg Williams does, in my opinion. It's it's a B for me. Uh, I'm going to go I'm gonna go B+. I like the hire. I do think they would be better off hiring Dan Campbell. But the, here's the reality. Freddie Kitchens was – in demand. So they had to do something with him. They either need to try and keep him or they're going to let him go. They're going to lose him. So I still think Dan Campbell was a better option for them, but there you go. Um, Denver Broncos. But you just totally ignored me giving you a hard time about your New York City office. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, I completely missed that. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Um, although we talk about football in my, time, in my office all the time, so I don't know uh, how we miss that collectively. Okay. Um, the Denver Broncos, they hired Bears offensive coordinator Vin, uh, Vic Fangio. Uh, he's been in this game a long time. Spent 19 of the last 20 years as an NFL defensive coordinator. And that's pretty much it with him. 60 years old. I, I'm going to go first this time because why not? I don't like the hire. And not because he does not deserve a shot. I think he... You know, he needs to be with a team that already has an offense settled and needs a defensive mind at the helm. That's not the Broncos. The, Bron- the Broncos need an offensive mind. That's what they need. And this does not work. Okay, he's going to do well out in, in Denver. That defense is going to be great next year. I promise you that. But in terms of what the team needs overall, has Vic Fangio ever developed a quarterback? No, obviously not. No. So what we do know is Gary Kubiak will be there to help run the offense. Great. That's great. Okay. And I think that's their thinking. But overall, um, I, I'm not a big fan of the hire. I'm going to go B-. minus. I think a B because, I mean, if you they're getting Kubiak in there. I mean, that's a guy who has experienced successfully running NFL offense. So it's – I think because they have the pieces there to have a good defense and Fangio could potentially make them a great defense. I mean, you're definitely going to please guys like Von Miller with that hire. You know, it's not a home. It's not the best hire in the world. I don't think really any uh, coaching staff hire this offseason is like really blown me away. But 
the field wasn't it wasn't an incredible picking of guys and i think with bringing in fangio the hope is that you can settle on an elite defense and then maybe you draft a quarterback to play behind case keenum if he's there next year and kind of build that up the running game is, is going to be there uh kubiak from what i remember his teams can normally run the ball and obviously philip Lindsay has been a good player royce freeman theoretically should be a good player so i mean it's okay i'm fine with the hire all right so what's your grade then i get a b right you say b all right green bay packers hiring uh titans offensive coordinator matt lafleur go for it f i what did this guy do to deserve a head coaching job it's i mean their past passing offense was one of the worst in the league so you got to think that it why would Aaron Rodgers listen to this dude? I mean, he literally got the job because he coached with Sean McVay, got hired because of that. Quite frankly, didn't do a good job this year, in my opinion. The passing offense is horrible. It took him literally the like 14 weeks to be like, ah, oh, you know what, maybe I should give Derrick Henry the ball more. And then he, he gets arguably the best offensive job, you if you're an offensive-minded coach, the best job you could get with Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Aaron Jones and Devonta Adams. I mean, I don't know why this is the guy you're giving the keys to, but like, if if he doesn't show up and know his stuff, I can't imagine a guy like Aaron Rodgers giving him the respect that a head coach should have. Well, I'm with you. I'm a, I'm an F with him, but for I think you're a bit hard on the situation in Tennessee, and I see the reason why is Mario was hurt most of the year, shoulder and elbow injuries. That that's hurting passing accuracy. That's hurting. His ability to get the ball out, okay? And his other guy, Blaine Gabbert. Dude, Blaine Gabbert, okay? I mean, the, I just want, they still won nine games with those two guys at quarterback. Um, and Derrick Henry, his scheme, that's that's LaFleur's schemes that got Henry off off the schneid late in the season. So, yeah, we can be critical that, you know, that they did not utilize him more early in the year, but, you know, who knows? And I don't – but well, here's my concern. I'm not – I'm not sure LaFleur, he didn't call the plays, did he? This year? I don't think um, he called the plays. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but he obviously okay. didn't call the plays in L.A. All right. And maybe he did. Maybe he did. Maybe I'm off my game a little bit on that. I thought I had read something on that earlier this week. But here's the bigger thing for me is what you said. You tell me if Aaron Rodgers could not respect Mike McCarthy and Mike McCarthy took them to a Super Bowl with him, How's it, how's he gonna respect Matt Lafleur? Honestly, yeah, I, I don't I mean, see I think, that. I think Lafleur could earn his respect, but like, I don't. I quite right now in his coaching career, I don't think he's a good enough coach to do that. Um, you know, it's not like Sean McVay walking in there. It's a guy who listened, learned from Sean McVay for a little bit, and then left. And you know, you're right about Mariota being injured, but he still didn't do much. And you could credit him for the Derrick Henry thing, but it still took him a really long time to figure that out. All right, here we go. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they hired former Cardinals head coach Bruce Arians. Your grade, sir. I mean, I, this is probably the best hire for me. I give it an A-. minus. They they really just needed a guy like this to come in there, uh, a coach who has proven he could be successful. Uh, we'll see what happens with Jameis Winston, but, I mean, if, it, if they bring him back and it doesn't work out, they can move on fine. Um, yeah, man, Arians is a good coach. I think we all agree that. He's getting up there in age, but – this is a franchise that needs to add a guy like this to just bring in stability. There's franchises that could go for the home run tires like Cliffsbury and LaFour and all that, but I don't think this was the team that could have done that. 
given their history for the past pretty much since Gruden. Okay, well, two things for me. A, I cannot – I have to be honest. I'm, disclosure, folks. I cannot stand Bruce Arians, okay? He, to me, he's the jerk of all jerks, all right, as a coach. However, this Tampa Bay team has talent throughout the roster, and it just – how do I say it? They – that division is open. The Falcons are faltering. The Panthers have issues. And, of course, the Saints, Sean Payton is not going to be there forever. And you know what? Drew Brees is 40, just about. Okay? So there is room to grow in that division. And then not just getting Bruce Arians, they're, they're getting Todd Bowles back to run the defense. So you have Todd Bowles, who was Arians' defensive coordinator for two years, uh, 2013-2014. Those are two very good Arizona teams those years. And then now you're going to get Arians with that. I, I like this hire a lot for Tampa Bay. The only downside to me, which keeps it from being an A+, is Arians isn't going to be there long. He's a five-year guy probably and done. And that's probably yeah. what he is. So it's not he's going to come in there and try and fix the franchise and pass it off to somebody else. Lord knows what happened last time Arians tried to pass off anything to somebody. <laughs> well, okay. I think I think if the Bucks could come out of this like the Cardinals were last season, maybe not talent wise, but just like I don't know, given how the players developed and everything, I, I think they'd be fine with it. And I think I, you would think they'd make a better hire, but knowing Tampa Bay, they probably won't. So we'll see. But right in the moment, I think this is a great hire. Okay. Uh, New York Jets hiring former Dolphins head coach Adam Gase. Go. This is another B for me. Uh, I I don't think Jets fans were thrilled with this at all, and I, I could see them wanting them to kind of make a, a splash hire, but I think they needed a coach who is good with quarterbacks, and I think Gase is he's a decent head coach in Miami. I mean, the big complaints were that he didn't give his running backs the ball enough, but you look at guys, um, or Kendon Drake probably was a big complaint this year. But I don't know. It's a B for me. They, they did make the playoffs in his first year. He did a really good job with Tannehill in his first year. And uh, him losing him for a year kind of derailed the whole thing. He got a very uh, not excited to play football. Jay Cutler, who was seemed like he was just there to collect paychecks and live Miami for another year. But, I mean, I get why they wanted to go for a splash, but... I think they dodged a bullet with getting him over Kingsbury, to be honest. Um, I'm going to go see. Um, I know they're bringing him in to develop Sam Darnold. That's a good good move. And um, he did pretty well with Tannehill. Tannehill just couldn't stay healthy. So that, to me, is fine. But really the bigger issue is the Jets, as an organization, are a train wreck. And I'm not sure anybody is going to win consistently there until the Jets fix what they got going on in the front office. That's you know it's it's hard for me to, to measure that higher, knowing that the Jets just I mean they don't do a whole lot right, and it's a shame because that's an organization that deserves a little bit of a whole lot right going on. All right, and of course the last one is the Bengals uh, planning to hire Rams quarterback coach Zach Taylor. Go. F, what, how is Zach Taylor deserving of a head coaching job? 
he took over as the quarter. He was with the wide receiver coach in 2017, right? Or an offensive assistant or something. Takes over as the quarterback's coach. Uh, Jared Goff, yeah, he had a better year than he did in 2017. But, I mean, it, it's clear to me that Sean McVay is the guy that really should get all the credit here. I would get if somebody would want to bring in Zach Taylor as our offensive coordinator. No, if Denver hired Vic Fangio and then brought in Zach Taylor, maybe to kind of go for that spark shirt. But, like, I don't understand these hires. And I know this this podcast may be played for the world on old takes exposed in a couple of years if these <laughs> Lafleur and sure, Taylor sure. and Kingsbury work out. But, like, these guys have done – they haven't been successful even offensive coordinators in the NFL. Kingsbury especially hasn't been a good head coach. But let's talk about Taylor. I, there's just like – looking he's, at his resume, I, I don't get it. He's got – well, to me, I'm looking at his resume and, he, and he's an up-and-comer for sure. I mean, he really is an up-and-comer. But you're going from a guy who is coaching quarterbacks and wide receivers to now not just running an offense and going one step beyond that and running a team. And I just don't know how he's ready for that. This is not a knock on Zach Taylor, by the way. I'm just looking at the resume going, you know, I don't see how he makes this leap successfully. And there's one more thing about that. The Bengals are cheap. Okay, they cut corners on every route. And when you have a franchise like that, it makes it that much harder for you to be successful. Why did Marvin Lewis last as long as he did there? Because he, even though they had their their playoff struggles, overall he got more out of that franchise than what many people even know. I'm going to say this flat out: Marvin Lewis was a very good head coach in a very very bad organization for for winning. He stayed five years too long. I mean, if he got fired he five did. years ago, he would have been a head coach immediately. It would have been like Jeff Fisher; he would have gotten any you know, job he wanted after that. But I really, I really think you know. Let's just say John Harbaugh moves on next year, okay, and Marvin Lewis goes home to Baltimore. I think he would be successful there. Baltimore, Baltimore provides the tools to succeed where Marvin Lewis didn't have the tools by a cheap organization that has done very little over the course of its history to be more than a Bush League franchise. How's that for a hot take? <laughs> I don't disagree with any of that. I mean, right, I'm just... I- I was saying, uh, you know, I was talking to friends. I was like, if Marvin Lewis got fired five years ago, he would have been the hottest coach in the market. He just sure. kind of overstayed that welcome a little too long. Uh, they had that bad playoff beat to the Steelers a couple years ago. Um, and, I mean, after that, I think, you know, well, that was probably the year he probably should have gotten canned. Maybe it was deserving. Maybe it wasn't. But I think that was the moment to me that that relationship should have ended. It was clearly the time to move on after that game. Well, I kind of view Marvin Lewis as – a guy who I, mean, I look at him like Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy was in Tampa Bay, really could not get past the hump. He goes to Indianapolis, and Tampa Bay brings in Gruden. They win a Super Bowl, and Dungy eventually wins his. You know, there's some sometimes you can only get so far in one place. Sometimes you just need new scenery to to go to the next level. And I really believe that's Marvin Lewis. You know, you, you Marvin Lewis plus. Um, a really, really bad franchise equals a decent team, but not great. Put Marvin Lewis in an organization like the Ravens down the line. I think we're talking about something different. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he's he's sixty. Um, you would think uh, an organization kind of in the dumps of wood 
maybe give him another job. So we'll see what happens. He definitely deserves it. But he does. Yeah, he does. like I said, I think he stayed a little too long, and people kind of soured on him. Um, and I do want to mention this kind of just to wrap this all up. We were talking about who's going to take over for the Cardinals. They Bruce Arians brought Byron Leftwich, another up and comer, with him as the offensive coordinator. See, that to me makes sense. You bring in a young up and comer who you think has promise as kind of the coach in waiting, kind of like when Jason Garrett was the coach in waiting under Wade Phillips. Um, that to me is a lot more reasonable than just hiring these guys outright. And I know we can look at McVay and say he didn't really deserve, but A, you look at those numbers that Kirk Cousins had under him, they were incredible. I mean, he was getting three three different receivers, I believe, had 1,000 yards under him in Washington with Kirk Cousins at quarterback. We've seen Kirk Cousins play this year. We know his limitations. Sean McVay clearly got the best out of him. And I, you can look for the Sean McVays every year, but the truth is that guy might be once in a generation. He might be. He might be. All right, folks. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. Don't forget our group, Rams Talk Room. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DC Paul and Steve Ribeiro at Steve Ribeiro on Twitter. Don't forget us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those places. And, of course, we're on iBeat Radio on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and Saturday and Sunday as well. Folks, we want to give a special thanks to our guests this week, both Jeff Cavanaugh and Bobby Belt for coming on to discuss the game. For Steve Ribeiro, this is Derek C. Apollo. It's game time, guys. We've given you all the preview we can give you. It's now time to watch and see what happens. Have a great one. We'll be talking to you guys on Saturday night. Peace out. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet essentials. One device included. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.